Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast. I'm Ross Kenyon. I am the creative editor at Nori's Carbon Removal Marketplace. I am welcoming back Evan Hines, co-founder of Climate Base. Hey, Evan. Hello. Hello. A lot of new stuff happening at Climate Base. Nori has a featured job listed on your site right now. And then also you and I have been talking about the nature of communities, which sounds sort of generic and vague, but is actually remarkably fascinating in watching all these new communities start up on Slack, on Clubhouse, other places where people are connecting in new ways. There's a lot to talk about. I feel like we're barely going to scratch the surface, but maybe we should just dive in and start talking about what's new with Climate Base. Yeah, I mean, big updates on Climate Base would be uh, chiefly that we have gone from a job board and sort of a, a directory of organizations, um, which you know, initially we built out because there was no good solution out there for finding jobs at organizations focused on climate. What we've evolved from since then is that we have now launched user profiles for the people using Climate Base. Um, that includes people who are searching for jobs or just curious explorers who are sort of seeing what's out there and looking to tap in and connect with others in the space. But it also includes folks like in fact, like your CEO, um, who who just created a profile and, you know, we put a spotlight on him in our newsletter. He's not looking for other work, is he? You know, I, I don't know. You better check with him because he's on climate. <laughs> no, no, I know he's, he's not. And, you know, that's what we really want to do. I think our big next step will be connecting people's profiles to the organizations that they work at on climate base. So going from what organizations are working on climate, which was our sort of starting point to, you know, which then evolved quickly into what jobs are they looking to fill? And now going one step further and saying, and what people are working at those organizations? And also, of course, you know, who are the people that are on climate base? So increasingly becoming more of a, uh, a specialized professional network for the climate space. That's great to, to hear. And if you're listening, this should we should still be taking applications. This episode will come out pretty quickly. But we have a senior software engineer role listed up there with quite a lot of details of what it's like to work at Nori, what we're looking for. So if you are looking for a job and you could see yourself as a senior software engineer and you like what we do at Nori, you want to work on carbon removal and building a carbon removal marketplace, I think Evan would personally thank you for doing it through his site, right? Evan, that's just a great mark of validation for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, that would be awesome. And I'm, I'm proud to say that since we've last spoken, I think well over 100 organizations have successfully hired through our platform. Wow. Um, you know, that's sometimes- great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm pretty stoked on it. I, I know that they are too. Um, and I'm hoping that Nori will be one of the organizations that we can support. You know, we're huge fans of, of the work that you folks are doing uh, in advancing sort of the regenerative um, agriculture space, you know, particularly around, you know, cr creating verified credits for carbon removal. I just think it's such important work. Um, and the kind of work that I would really hope that a lot of our members, our users at Climate Base would be excited to get involved with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. I see us as occupying similar roles in the carbon removal community or just climate tech in general of trying to be boosters, trying to get people into this space who want to be trying to create fun, novel uh, ways of talking about this that isn't, you know, uh, hard to understand necessarily. That's friendly. That's fun. This is a big part of how you think about your job, I imagine too, right? Or am I just imposing my own mental map upon you? No, yeah, absolutely. Like we're, you know, we're trying to sort of flip the script. Um, and I think that this is like part of the broader change that has happened uh, in the past 
I would say like year and a half is the, the narrative around climate change, around the climate crisis has been that of, you know, despair and gloom and doom. And, you know, our, our mission is to not to like downplay how severe the situation is. It's, it's, it's terrifying, but to also show that there are opportunities and, you know, as a platform thinking very long-term about what we want climate based to be, we really want it to be almost like a, you know, a community powered uh, one-stop shop for climate opportunity. You know, we're starting with employment and there's a lot of work to be done just on that, but we, we have greater ambitions to, to go even beyond that. So, um, you know, we're, we're part of the movement of people that are saying, and organizations that are saying, hey, look, like, like yeah, things are bad, but fixing it, uh, you know, whenever you fix a, a problem, that there is inherently an opportunity there. And, you know, let's, let's celebrate those opportunities. Okay, yeah, that's, that's good. I understand. When I think about communities, the partition I have between the two, like broad ways of going is something that is a one-stop shop. Like if you care about climate, this is the Slack community you join. Um, so something like my climate journey might be something like that as far as slacks go. So that tries to, has multiple channels for your interest. If you want environmental justice or carbon removal or something like that, that all exists there. But if you really wanted to focus on carbon removal exclusively, I would probably go hang out at air miners. And there are trade-offs to either of these approaches. They both have strengths and they both have weaknesses and either being too broad or being too specific, but are they competing against each other in some way or are they complementary? How should we be understanding these communities? You know, I think that that's like, so the community space right now is exploding. And prior right. to getting in climate, that's where I built my career. Um, granted, a lot of my community work was, you know, largely uh, in person. But, you know, there's, there's always online elements. I mean, we were, we were using Slack to support everything that we were doing in person. And then with our alumni community at Bake School, my previous employer, you know, like all of that was happening on Slack, on a Facebook group. Now, the community space with COVID having, you know, hit the world has exploded because everyone's looking for belonging. You know, one of my favorite sort of thinkers in this space is, is, is writing a book right now called uh, the, the Business of Belonging. I think that organizations are increasingly becoming aware that businesses, all businesses, um, are communities in, in, in various ways. But like these community powered platforms and like, and like businesses that are not just community as an add-on, but the, the product itself, the experience itself is that of a community. I, I think that there, that this is like a really, really new space. And a lot of these different Slack communities and, and communities that live in other platforms um, may think of themselves as being competitors, but I think that would be a mistake. And the analogy that I like to draw upon is like, you know, Ross, like you, you have um, probably many different friends and they're part of different groups, right? Like you have some friends that are like in the climate world and then you have like some other friends that are like, I don't know, like into whatever your other interests are. Are those different groups of friends? Like are the, are the leaders of those groups of friends like all competing over Ross's attention? Like probably not. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe for you they are. I don't, you could be a really popular guy. Like I, I don't know, but- Are we talking about friends or supplicants? I think that's the distinction. Supplicants. Oh, sorry. Old Diction Dan over here. That's someone who asks <laughs> something of a king. <laughs> what goes before right. a king and kneels and asks for a favor. Yeah. Right, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, like, I, you know, maybe like celebrities have that issue, but like for the average person, like I think we're all part of multiple different groups of friends, multiple different communities. 
even if there is a community doing something in the space that you want to start a community in, let's say, uh, that shouldn't be a reason to dissuade you from doing your own thing. And therefore, I don't think that communities are or should be competing with each other. It's not really the right way to think about it. There's always something unique that that each community can bring to the table. I feel that pretty strongly too. And I have a lot of people email me about starting their own climate podcast. And there's a world in which I'm a big jerk about it. I always try to be supportive. I'm glad we need more content out there. And because podcasting seems at least you know, at least partially, it's, I think it's the major component is per, it's personality driven, right? Like I could interview someone, you could interview someone, someone else could interview the same person. And it would be three different shows because so much of it is about what you're bringing, how you see things, the sort of humor, the vibe that you have. And what I do is not right for everyone. I don't think of myself as being like the one climate podcast to rule them all. I think if I did think that I would be put into a position of being competitive with people that like the goal is to reverse climate change. The goal is not to be the best climate podcast or the most popular climate podcast. Does that make sense? Totally. And I, I, I think yeah, you're thinking about it the right way. I think the for any creator in the, in this space or any space, like if you're trying to build a, uh, you know, content and build a, maybe a business or a side hustle or just a hobby or a brand uh, or build your personal brand around content creation podcasts, or if you're trying to launch a community, like your goal should not be to take attention away from other communities um, or other content creators. It should just be to try to do the best that you can do. That's really it because that's, that's all, that's all that's going to get you listeners and members. And, you know, like it's, it's, it's really just about being the best that you can be and, and not really, you know, being competitive with others that are out there. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think some of the offerings too are relatively specific. So if you compare what we like to podcast about versus other shows, like I tend to focus a lot on authors. I like literary episodes. If you join our Patreon, which is a sort of community that we we foster, there's a couple dozen people in there. And the main draw, as far as I can tell, is our book club where we meet a couple times a month. And if you want to read books with me and talk about them with other people who like the show and like books, that's where you do it. But could that even scale? Like, should I be trying to get that to a hundred people or like a thousand people? I think if it did that, it would be unwieldy and weird. Part of the charm is just having like a small group of, of friends and like, we're actually like fairly chummy and, and like we're genuinely friends and like spending time together. And I don't know that that scales. Is it supposed to? Does everything have to scale in the world of tech? I just nested like seven questions at you. So no, but it, no, no, no. I, I, yeah, I mean, so I, I think that it depends on what your goals are. Like if your goal is to provide a little bit of value to a lot of people, uh, then scale might be the right way to do it. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you're also, I mean, also doing that, by the way, like it, it's a completely different strategy um, from a community management perspective, from a, you know, content delivery perspective, than if your goal is perhaps to provide a ton of value to less people. So it really depends on like, what are, what are your long-term goals? I would say like, if you're trying to build a business uh, based on content, so not like, again, like not looking at like content as an add-on, right? Like Nori, your content isn't your business. Your content is like an add-on. It's like, it's a great stuff that keeps people engaged with your brand, but like your team is not, you know, you're not hiring a software engineer on climate base right now to work on your podcast. I would hope. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> ah, I, think ah, yes. I, I have some thoughts on that, but continue. <laughs> nice. Um, 
So I think it really depends on like what your, what your goal is. Um, just thinking solely about community. If, if your goal is to scale community, then that should align with, I mean, there, there has to be a, like a, a real reason for that because I actually think that some of the most valuable communities out there are the ones that are not fully, fully scaled. Um, I think that people want a sense of belonging and oftentimes intimacy drives that sense of belonging. And so, you know, I've, I've seen a handful of amazing climate focused communities out there that are, I think, trying to scale. Um, but what they already have is like magic. Like they already have the leaders and the thought, you know, and the, the experts all, all in a space. Um, and they're like, they're intimate and they're talking with each other and amazing things are coming out of it. Projects are coming out of it. I don't know, like, don't fix a wheel if it's, or, you know, what's the expression? Don't fix a wheel if it's not broken. I'm probably messing that up, but, but like, yeah, don't like, like there's already something special happening there. And so, you know, like you don't need to scale that up. Plus like, you know, depending on your audience type, like maybe you're, maybe what made that community amazing are the, are the, you know, hard to get people that you got to join your community. And maybe when there's 10,000 more people in there, that person that made the place so special in the first place won't really want to participate that much. So, you know, I think, I think that whether you scale or a community or not, it really just depends on what are the real goals in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to push back a tiny bit. I swear we'll talk about climate base and your insights for what you're going to move ahead. And this is all relevant to what will come, but I've been thinking a lot about fan culture and a lot of what we do is um, giving people a chance to follow along with Nori. So we do a lot of episodes kind of like this one that are somewhat internally facing that talk about how we're developing, what we're doing, us as people. And I think that allows a fair amount of trust. And hopefully if you listen to this show, it's because you either, either this is weird to say, you either like me or you like my company, you like Nori, you want to be a part of the journey together. And that's why you're still here. Or I, or we just appeal to your like unique, you want to read books and talk with authors and that's fun. For the example, I always come back to is if I want to buy a pair of shoes, the first place I'm going to look is Allbirds because I'm an Allbirds fan. And I like what they do. I think their shoes are super comfortable. I'm like, I'm bought into the aesthetic and I am a fan. And I think businesses in general realize that they, if they can create something like that, they should. Then again, the counter example, we, did we talk about this last time is the Dunder Mifflinfinity that uh, on the office where Ryan tries to create a social media site for like the paper <laughs> ordering paper. And you're yeah. like, that's a fan culture that does not need to exist. And that's a whole community that doesn't. But. You know, that might need to exist. I mean, I think the last time we were chatting, I, I literally said like, oh yeah, I don't think people want a, a social network for climate. Because you had asked oh, me. Yeah, that's right. You had asked me, like, is that what we're building out? And I, I didn't yeah. really think that that was what we were building out at the time. You know, we have been and, you know, and I would say emerging from sort of a lab state, you know, where, where we've been testing things. But I think what we're seeing is that actually people do want niche communities for pretty much every single interest that they care about. So maybe there is like a hardcore paper enthusiast community out there. In fact, I guarantee there is. I, get, I bet there's, oh, there's yeah. like a handmade paper Reddit sub forum. Actually, I'm sure of it. I bet you if we looked it up right now, it would be there. It's like the primitive technology paper, right? for like grow your own papyrus and make paper from scratch. Someone's doing it for sure. sure. For sure. I mean, I was just talking to a community builder the other day on Clubhouse and she's she has an entire community and cohort-based course just focused on calligraphy. Wow. I mean, so, you know, there's probably cool. someone making the paper too. 
Absolutely. So you're now going back on what you told me last time, and now yes. you want a social media for climate professionals or aspirational professionals. Is that right? I, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, we've, <laughs> we, we thought of that as a, as one path that we could pursue, but I think we were just like, maybe not seeing, I think we just weren't listening to our, our users enough, quite frankly. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say that, but like in reality, it's pretty clear that our, our, our audience wants to connect with each other. And, and that's why we've launched public profiles of our users so that they can not only just like, you know, have an identity on our platform, but really be able to connect with each other. Now, right now, the extent of this product is just that they can DM each other, which is useful, I think. But, you know, we, what we really want to do long term is, is actually build out more of a, a real community component to the platform. We're still certainly a few months away from that. And we have, I think, some exciting plans for how we're going to be doing that. But another thing that we've been talking about um, outside of having our own platform is the idea of, and this goes back to what we were just talking about earlier regarding like other communities and competing communities. There are so many great climate communities out there. And I don't think climate base will be, or, or certainly not is right now, but like, I don't think there's ever going to be one community for anything. That's just not how it works. People will always start new iterations of communities for similar topics I want to be able to support all of these communities and kind of be like almost a, a meta, a meta network where you can like, I can look up on climate base, like, Oh, I'm going to look up Nori and see that. Oh, look, like, you know, like Ross works at Nori and, and then I can see, like I can click into Ross's profile and I can look at all the different communities that Ross is part of, like all these different climate communities that we partner with on climate base. And let's say he's in air miners. And that's the community that I'm already in. And I'm like, oh, great. Like, I'm just going to message him through Airminers then. And I can click the Airminers community tab and launch my Slack of, you know, launch the Airminers Slack and just shoot him a message through there. You know, or I can message him through ClimateBase if I would rather do that. But the reality is like some people are, many people are part of many communities um, as this space is so closely networked. And, and we think that we have an opportunity to kind of like de-silo and then shine a light on sort of like who's in the space and, and what are the subspaces that they're a part of. Mm, that's, that's intriguing. But this is all just idea, you know, like, I, I mean, this is who knows. Yeah. You're, you're a very iterative person. Every time I talk to you, you're just like these ideas, running some experiments, seeing, <laughs> seeing what people like, we'll see what happens. Very startupy. I mean, well, we, ha we have to be like, we don't have product market fit. You know, we, we know one thing though, a lot of people want to work in climate and we built a pretty good solution that helps them get part of the way there, you know? And I mean, for us, one of the best parts about having, you know, cultivating an audience and, and this is the case, of course, with anyone who's like actually cultivating a real community too, not just an audience. And there's a distinction there, but whenever you have an audience, whether it's unidirectional like us at the moment or a real community, it allows you to iterate a lot faster and get to product market faster because you can get feedback from these people in a much more um, seamless way than if you don't actually have their, you know, email addresses or something like that. Right. So if you, if you don't actually have like an audience, it's, I think it can be really challenging to know what you should do next, but that audience, at least for us has been really good about telling us what they want. Turns out the kind of people that want a climate job want a lot of different things when it comes to climate action and, uh, and that's a great problem for us to have. We just have to be careful about which piece we chip away at uh, next. 
That's great. You know, so many different ways you can go, which is, you know, the old adage, right? That uh, startups don't starve, they drown. Have yeah. You heard that? Yeah. So it sounds like maybe that's a threat for you. <laughs> I think for us, it's like, and that's again, why we have to be so careful about just picking the right things to invest our time in. Like we know, for instance, that a lot of our users you know, want to uh, learn more about what's happening in the political world when it comes to climate change, you know, um, staying up to date on that. But like, it would be probably a really bad idea for me to spend a lot of my time, you know, doing research or working with our communities and synthesizing this stuff and writing reports for our users. I mean, you know, will that monetize? Will that allow us at Climate Base to continue to do what we do and be a self-sustaining organization? No, it's, it's not. But there's other things when it comes to climate action, other products, other features that we can build out on top of our existing platform that do monetize and also drive a tremendous amount of impact for our users. So that's the question. It's like, of those things, which ones do we chip away at first? I've been a lot stricter about uh, my... uh, well, I'll say it this way, my information diet, I guess you could say, but I'm still in a bunch of the Slack groups on my phone, but on my computer, it's just minority ones, the podcast, Patreon, and our main work one. It's good. I feel less distracted because I'm not lit up all day long by notifications, but I'm also like less engaged, but I also like the withdrawal of it. Also, like uh, people have been trying to get me on Clubhouse and I've been resistant. Like I'm more likely to quit something than I am to add something else or add another community, another thing. How much of this can we take? Or another example, how many streaming services are we expected to get? How much am I supposed to, this is like every single channel ever. I'm supposed to subscribe to 10 sub stacks for like 10 bucks a month. Like surely there's a limit to where this is no longer efficient. I, I think I think you're absolutely correct, and like I've experienced that myself too. I did like a full digital detox. I'm still getting caught up on e- on emails from like weeks, and I'm embarrassed to say even like months ago. Um, but like particularly with Slack, I'm part of maybe like seven or eight different Slack communities that are all about climate or regeneration or you know various spins on the same stuff. And I just like I had to turn off my notifications. I just can't afford to keep checking that. So I do think that there is like, it's not like that communities. So, you know, maybe this line of thinking would lead one to believe like, oh yeah, well then you do need to be the best climate community. If you really want to like not have people not active in your community. Right. Like, but you know, that's, I don't know, like, again, like I think the the solution there is not being competitive, but really just again, like being the best that you can be as a community leader or, or as a content producer and really figuring out like what is that unique thing that you can provide people um, as opposed to maybe like being like doing it all in your community or doing it all in your newsletter. Like what's the one thing that you're going to really carve out that will keep people engaged. Um, Maybe you won't attract like the biggest audience, but the audience you will attract, they're not going to like turn off your notifications or start marking your Substack newsletters as spam. (laughs) Yeah. So do you know about strong and weak ties? Have you ever heard this, these terms before? In, in what context? It often comes up in sociology and in social capital theory, strong ties being you know, close friends, family, um, weak ties tend to be people from your street or in the Elks Lodge or something like that. And weak ties 
or where you get jobs from a lot of the times having like, like th there are strengths and weaknesses to both of these networks really strongly, but I've almost been withdrawing from a lot more of those like weak tie networks during this. If someone writes me an email, I will usually, you know, with some exceptions, but like if I have time, I will always try to write, if they write me a thoughtful email, I will respond on a one-on-one -on -one basis. I'm more likely to participate in that. But if someone tags me on something on a Slack group, I'm a part of, and it's like, what do you think Ross? I'm like, I'm busy. And like, I have to write like a public response to something. I don't know that I want to do that. I, I don't use Twitter. I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's good for us. I sort of like want to withdraw into things that do not scale. But then again, I also talk on the internet. That's at least a big part of my job too. So I'm a man of contradictions, but I still haven't been able to figure out like how much I am at comfort with the digital age and the increasing like connectivity of everything. What should I do with that? I mean, I, I would say it's, you know, this is all just personal choices. Like since we last spoke a couple months back, I got on Twitter and honestly, like I found Twitter to be magical. Like, honestly, like I was, I was like literally just talking with like Chris Saka like earlier this morning. And I mean, like nothing important, like, you know, like silly stuff. I was, I was at, yeah, I was like teaching him how to do a kickflip literally, but like, this is not important, right? Like this is not important conversations. That's like the weakest, weakest of ties, but Hey, it's, it's an intro, right? Like it's an opportunity. It's like a, it's, it's like a, it's like the door opening partially there. And, and, and maybe, maybe that door will open and maybe we'll have like a, a stronger conversation. Maybe that's where that leads to. But like, regardless, I think that it's, it's more about like, just honestly, just, having moderation and you can be a part of all these platforms, but just don't burn yourself out on them. Well, thanks Evan for counseling me on my social media usage and why I am an old man and haven't come to terms with it yet. Where can people learn more? How can people get involved with climate based follow what you're thinking about? What can they do? Well, I mean, again, you know, we recently, just a couple of weeks back, we launched public profiles and we think that that's going to be a really valuable way for people who want to work in this space to get discovered by the employers on our platform. This is, an, you know, if you're an employer in the climate space, like by all means, use that component of our platform to source talent. I mean, these are mostly people that are on the job hunt and there's a lot of really talented mission-driven folks there. Also, each week now in our, in our newsletter, we are highlighting a handful of members of our community. And so when you're creating a profile, if you want to sort of, you know, put yourself out there uh, to, I mean, gosh, uh, 20,000 of our you know, subscri email subscribers now, um, that could be a great way to get discovered. Or even if you're hiring, you know, we can highlight your personal profile um, and mention the jobs that you're you know, hiring for. So, yeah, we're, we're really just, um, you know, we invite you to join Climate Base and create a profile and get involved. I'm so curious to see how you guys keep developing. I know you've been shoestringing it for a while and doing quite a lot given um, the various iterations that you have. I always like catching up with you and seeing what you're doing. Nor uses climate-based. We're trying to hire a senior software engineer off of there, as I mentioned. So if that person's you, you should go check out the ad in the show notes, links to everything we talked about also in the show notes. So for those of you who are like really eager to sort of fast track, accelerate your climate career, um, if you've been thinking about getting in this space and you're not sure where to start or you're kind of intimidated by transitioning into a new field, we did recently, uh, a few months back, announce our climate-based fellowship program. Uh, we already have nearly 100 organizations and founders and speakers, experts who have requested to be a part of the program to share their knowledge 
uh, with our audience of fellows throughout this program. Um, so you can kind of think about this as like an extended climate conference meets like extended hackathon with a really rich online community to support that whole process. Yeah, feel free to go to climatebase.org slash fellowship and apply. We are going to be launching this program ideally mid-year, uh, but it certainly wouldn't hurt to get your application in now. Cool. Link to that fellowship opportunity is in the show notes as well. And thanks for sharing all that with us, Evan. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and or Stitcher. It really helps us a lot to get this content to a wider audience. If you think what we're doing is useful, interesting, fun, hopefully all three, we'd certainly appreciate your rating and review. You can keep up with Nori at Nori.com where there is a newsletter. That's Nori.com slash subscribe. There's podcast. There's a whole bunch else. Or you can send us an email at podcast at Nori.com. We are also now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nori podcasts if you'd like more content, engagement, and community. And thank you so much for your support.